All right, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. How often do you feel your balls? Because <laughs> you know what? You could be playing with the wrong balls. If your balls are dimply, they're good balls. They're going to go far. If they're smooth, they're not so good. So be sure and feel your balls. If they're not dimply, you need to get some Callaway balls. So remember the Callaway logo. If you're not playing with Callaway's balls, whose balls are you playing with? <laughs> Okay, we are here today with our special guest, Mr. Adam Weinrib. Adam, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, excited to talk these iconic films. We are here to compare two golf movies from quite a distance apart, from one from 1980 and one from 1996, celebrating its 25th anniversary. We are comparing Caddyshack with... Happy Gilmore. I know it's going to be amazing. These are some of the most quotable, fun sports golf movies of all time. Okay, Jason, before we get started, I have to talk to you about something. I'm going to read you this ad, but just know this is genuine stuff, okay? Our podcast is brought to you by Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you are doing something good for your body. They say we start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then we blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So just special for our listeners, they are offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. Check them out at earthechofoods.com slash minute media. And I just got to say, I've had this type of chocolate before. It's better than regular chocolate. It's one of those ones. All other memories will fade and I will still have it. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Sounds yeah. fantastic. We have Adam Weinrup here with us today. Adam is a podcaster. He has experience in film. He has comedy experience and his podcast deals with sports. It's kind of this fantastic combination of comedy and sports where he finds folks who are funny, but instead of talking to them about their comedy stuff and their film stuff, he talks to them about their sports teams. That's fantastic. Man. I love it. Yeah. Sports Fire is the name of that podcast. You need to check it out. Uh, Adam, tell us more about that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Sportfire started as like a sports comedy bang bang. It was a pretty straight and easy pitch. I was like, I'll get buddies on. I'm in some comedy groups. Shout out Rad Motel Sketch Comedy and uh, shout out to uh, Sort of Best Friends Sketch Comedy as well. They've been great friends and they've been very helpful in the early stages of the podcast. But I was like, you know, it'd be great if eventually, you know, it would be a dream if it evolved into more famous comedians and more notable guests. Maybe some of them want to play characters. I can collaborate with them and, and write some bits and stuff. And then within like a month, I had Heidi Gardner from SNL who wanted to come on and do an interview. Had Rob Riggle, had Eric Legrand, the, the Rutgers star who, who was paralyzed and is now an advocate for disabilities. So just some absolutely mind-blowing guests that I never expected I'd have so soon. So now it has become a, a comedy sports interview sketch hybrid podcast quicker than I'd anticipated. But if you guys like all the things that I just said, and if you like Happy Gilmore and Caddyshack, you might like Sportfire. Man, that's awesome. It really is. And you also are a Yankees fan. You got a Yankees podcast for us. Yeah, the best team in the world. Uh, team <laughs> lost seconds before this pod record. Um, it's called the Yanks Go Yard podcast. If you're a Yankee fan, uh, actually, if you're a Yankee fan, I'd recommend not listening because they're five and seven and have terrible <laughs> pitching. If you're a Boston Red Sox fan, three times a week, you get a delightful <laughs> you Yankee fans who've been sentenced directly to a, a chamber of hell to talk about the worst team in baseball. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Oh, man. Okay. So 
I just came from like a fight with my wife that was epic. You have come from a family tragedy with a car that breaks down in the middle of it. And you have come fresh off a loss of your favorite sports team. So this should be a hysterical <laughs> episode. Mine is a clear number three. If we're <laughs> Disasters. I mean, it's not close. So 1970, we have a guy named Doug Kenny, who becomes an editor on the Harvard Lampoon. Now, from 1970 to 1980, there's kind of a revolution that's going on in the comedy world. You've got Harvard Lampoon that ultimately will become National Lampoon. Right. And you've got what has been building up for the 10 years before Second City Television, which is going to produce a whole lot of guys who are going to become the face of comedy in the 1980s. So back to Doug Kenny, one of the writers and producers on this movie, he gets finished with college. He doesn't want to go on to law school, which is what his parents want him to do. And so he convinces his friend who's gotten into law school not to do it, but to instead make a national magazine out of the Harvard Lampoon. And for it to be a national magazine, they changed the name to National Lampoon. There you go. And surprisingly, not many magazine companies want to go with two upstart kids right out of college. And then five years, their political commentary, their weird humor, it makes them iconic in the comedy world, in the written comedy world. And they end up selling the National Lampoon for millions of dollars. And so at just 20 something years of age, Doug Kinney is now a multimillionaire. Good thing he didn't go to law school. Yeah, really. Well, it's unmitigated genius, those National Lampoon guys. It's, it's You've got people from overseas uh, like Tony Hendra. You've got Ann Beats, who just passed away. One of the original SNL writers was a writer on that staff. And then they start like sort of importing people from the Second City mix for their radio show. So you've got Murray, Ramis, Gilda Radner's doing cameos. Uh, they do the Lemmings show and they take it on tour, which is where Belushi first did Joe Cocker and like a lot of the stuff you liked from the first couple seasons of SNL. Um, <laughs> so if you like... If I could time travel back to one melting pot, it's probably that early National Lampoon room because it's everybody from SNL before Lauren Michaels started poaching them one by one. Right. So Lauren Michaels is a key ingredient there. Lauren Michaels had been doing comedy television in Canada, and he came to NBC to do this kind of weird sketch variety comedy show. And there was nothing going on on TV that back then, like the place they got at 30 Rock was cheap because they couldn't find anybody to lease the place. And so in October 11th, 1975, exactly one week after I was born, the first episode of Saturday Night Live goes on the air. Live from New York, it's Saturday night. One of the guys in that original cast set was a guy named Chevy Chase. And Chevy had met Lauren Michaels in line at like the movies or something. I mean, it was it was a very random meeting. So Lauren had convinced him to join, wanting him to be a writer, but he wanted to be on the screen. And so they put together their first improv set before they start filming. And people are kind of funny, but Chevy is hysterical. And it's because he falls down because something that's universal through comedy is physical comedy. If you think of some of the old stuff, like if you watch comedy from the 50s and the 40s, it's not usually funny unless it's the physical comedy. You go back to Charlie Chaplin, even when you couldn't hear it, he was still funny because it was physical comedy. And Chevy nailed that. And so he gets in front of the camera and then they put him in the news spot. So he says, well, you know, I'm going to say my name's, you know, Walter Crankkite or something like that. And and Lawrence Michaels is like, no, 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 just say your name. Just go ahead and say your name, and then you do the news. Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. And because he said his own name, he became the most famous, well-known guy on Saturday Night Live. Sounds like a fake name. <laughs> right, right, like right. Chevy does, Chase yes. sounds like a bit. His real name is Cornelius Crane Chase. And uh, so his know. granddad gave him the nickname Chevy. So he performs on that on the first cast group. After one year, this crazy comedy sketch wins an Emmy, and he is the only actor who wins an Emmy for his performance on the show. Like the show itself wins, and then he wins, and then he decides, I'm big enough. I'm going to go ahead and go out on my own. And so he leaves the show. Yep. And he is replaced by this guy named Bill Murray. 
also a second city guy, wasn't funny whenever he first got on the show. <laughs> like it was really, he was really a bad replacement for Chevy Chase, which is ironic considering how I think they both ultimately turned out. I mean, to be fair though, if you think you're replacing Chevy Chase with Bill Murray, your expectations are different than if you're like, I'm ready to watch anybody and make me laugh. Cause like you've got this buttoned up news guy. President Gerald Ford and you're replacing him with like, you know, cockeyed, messed up hair character embodying Bill Murray. It's a totally different ride. You know, the interesting thing before we go too much for that, and we'll talk about this more later, but Chevy Chase, when he left, there was some resentment from the cast of Saturday Night Live. They felt like, hey, you know, we built this thing up to something really great. And there you go. You're off making movies. And he came back to co-host the show in 1978 and kind of full of himself, kind of a jerk to everybody, kind of like a hey, everybody, I'm out making millions of dollars. You guys are still stuck here. Bill Murray, his replacement, sort of became the avenging angel of the cast. And they got in a fist fight backstage that would come into play later when they're shooting Caddyshack. Yeah, they didn't get real, get along real well for, for that time period, right? <laughs> I believe Chevy called him pit face. Oh, dang. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. That's so horrible. There's uh, differing reports on whether there's actual punches thrown. But a yeah. disagreeable wrestling match definitely occurred in the hallway right before the show. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who wrote the book, uh, Cinderella Story, Caddyshack, he calls it a fist fight. There you go. I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be. I mean, we got a guy from Chicago. Of course, he's going to throw a punch, right? Come on, let's be adults here. Let's not mess the place up. We can handle this in private. Let's go to your office. I'll make some drinks for us all. We'll talk about it. Come on. Okay, so we've seen comedy changing in the magazine and in television. And then we have this magical change that is also happening in the movies. We had this weird kind of sketch comedy movie that comes out with this young novice director called the Kentucky Fried Movie, which is, of course, the Zucker brothers and John Landis who put that movie together. And it does reasonably well. And then John Landis goes on to pair up with National Lampoon in their first movie called Animal House. Right. Doug Kinney wrote Animal House and it became like, I think it was the highest grossing comedy of all time yeah. at that moment. I think that made like $141 million off of a something like $6 million budget. Well, what the hell is supposed to do, you moron? Yeah, I, I believe that's true. I love Animal House too, but you can't come up with a more perfect vehicle for Belushi. Like if you're trying to spin him off into something, it's like you've hit a casting home run already. In terms of these parody movies, uh, I didn't see Kentucky Fried Movie as a kid because it was deemed like a little, like one layer two out there. But there was a time in my life where all I would watch was I would ask my parents, does this movie have parodies in it? <laughs> and they were like, you can watch anything up to Kentucky Fried Movie, like UHF. Great. You watch that. My AIM screen name was Parody King. Um, so these <laughs> movies were very formative for me. And shockingly enough, I didn't need numbers after Parody King. They were like, you want to be called that? OK, yeah, you're the only one. You <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, so let's back up just a second. So after they had done Animal House and you have this massive comedy hit and it makes tons of money, the studio brings in Doug Kinney and Harold Ramis and they say, all right, what do you got for us next? And Harold Ramis is like, well, I've got this idea about Nazis in, in like Illinois. <laughs> Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, mm, yeah, uh, okay, what else you got? <laughs> and then I think Doug Kinney had some kind of weird sort of off the wall spiritual idea. And they're like, well, yeah, what else you got? And they remembered a story that Brian Doyle Murray had told them about their days that when all the Murray brothers had caddied at this country club. And they just kind of half remembered the story that Brian Doyle Murray had said. And they said, well, uh, what about a snobs versus slobs at a golf course? And they're like, now that sounds interesting. Then they went back and grabbed Brian Doyle Murray and they're like, Hey dude, sorry, we stole your story. You get to go ride it with us and let's, let's go. So there's another animal house actor that comes into play at this point that has a relationship with Brian Doyle Murray. Yes. So Sarah Holcomb, who played the underaged daughter of the mayor in Animal House, the one that <laughs> the, there's the toilet paper scene. <laughs> 
the Kleenex scene. The one, exactly the Kleenex scene. She was dating Brian Doyle Murray at the time they were writing Caddyshack, and so they said, "Well, hey, we we want you in Caddyshack." And there was some discussion of whether or not she was going to play Maggie or Lacey Underall. So she decided, "Well, I don't really want to play the hot girl. I'll play." Maggie, good choice. So to prepare herself, <laughs> I'm, I'm just for the people who can't see my face, I'm, I'm bugging my eyes out of good choice, but you keep on going. I mean, <laughs> her playing the hot girl, I, I don't know. Not, yeah, that was not it either. A little I, bit I, of a stretch there. Yeah. But they wanted her to play this Irish Catholic foreign exchange student right. who comes over and works at the golf course. And so in order to prepare her for the role, she and Brian Doyle went to Ireland and she came back with the world's worst Irish accent. Yeah, I can't believe you spend that long there, and this is what you come back with. <laughs> That's why you get these memorable lines like, oh, yeah, well, thanks for nothing. So Brian Doyle Murray's story is mostly about the caddies, hence the name Caddy Shack. He and his brothers, like you said, had grown up caddying because they had grown up in a nicer neighborhood, but they had to kind of earn their own way in the Jesuit school that they went to. And so they would caddy and Bill Murray was a ball shagger whenever he first started out. And that's the way that they made money so that they could live the, the lifestyle that their parents wanted them to be a part of. Right. Bill Murray actually drove the, the cart that picked up the golf balls and people would try to drill him with their with their shots. So let's talk about Happy Gilmore. Okay. Happy to. Happy Gilmore, of course, is a movie that doesn't take place until 16 years later. But the guys who write it are guys who love Caddyshack. Yeah. I mean, it is well noted that they wrote this movie thinking of Caddyshack and like, we want to make a golf movie of our own. And so those guys were Adam Sandler and his college roommate, Tim Hurley. Now they had been roommates together and then Adam went on to do some TV stuff. He was the stud boy on Remote, Remote Control, Control on yeah. TV. And he was also one of Theo's friends on The Cosby Show. He was Schmitty. Whoa, I don't remember that. Yep. Yeah, and so he had he was getting in front of the camera a little bit while Tim Hurley went to law school. He joined a law firm, and Adam Sandler is calling him up saying, hey, I'm doing all these stand-up things. Can you help me out? And so they start writing stand-up routines together. He stays late at the law firm and works up comedy bits instead of working on briefs and motions, I guess. Adam Sandler gets on as a writer for SNL. He brings Tim on as a writer for SNL. And I could say I would, in my early years of law firm work, if someone had said, would you like to go be a writer for SNL? I'd be like, see you later. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Farley all become like the key ingredients in this new Saturday Night Live. And maybe we should talk a little bit about that first. So after you hit 1980, there was a complete cast change and Saturday Night Live went through what can only be described as some growing pains. What what can you tell us on that one, Adam? I mean, like you said, Lauren's gone at a certain point, like Dick Ebersol's in. The, the people who are joining the cast are people who eventually become mega celebrities like Robert Downey Jr., Joan Cusack. Randy Quaid, Anthony Michael <laughs> Hall. This is a bad SNL cast in the mid 80s. I'm not talking about like, oh, the iconic forgotten years. Like, no, really bad television. They're yeah. the worst. Lor yeah, Lauren is back eventually. I mean, luckily, as you know, Lauren, Lauren didn't stay gone for long. But I mean, it, it goes from like the iconic SNL cast of the, of the mid to late 70s into like Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, older people trying to, you know, prop it up. Uh, Eddie Murphy shows up tears the show down and when it comes back it's like non-comedian celebrities and so by the late <laughs> 80s they really have to regroup um you've got that lovitz phil Harmon, dana carvey jan hooks Nora dunn victoria jackson core leading directly I, I love them and they always say that your favorite cast is the one you grew up with and i think that's true for me because i still do love feral you know faye fallon all those folks tracy morgan but i grew up on the comedy central reruns more than I grew up on the live broadcast in like the mid to late 90s. So the first cast I ever watched was all these dudes, Spade, Farley, Sandler, and then the people a little bit before them, you know, Harmon Carvey, the holdovers and and Hooks Dunn, uh, who are uh, Jan Hooks. I, I pray at the altar of Jan Hooks. She's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so before I go there, Adam Sandler was in a movie in 1989. You guys know about this? 
Is this that movie where he's like got an inner tube around his waist? And yeah. Adam Sandler's first movie was actually in 1989 before he really becomes a player on SNL. Now the cast includes him, obviously. You've also got Billy Bob Thornton. You've got Billy Zane. You got Burt Young from the Rocky movies. You're thinking, wow, this movie will probably do pretty well. IMDb rating 1.8. I have never seen a rating below <laughs> two in my life. It is it is on their worst 100 rated movies of all time. That was wow. Adam Sandler's first movie out of curiosity what is caddyshack 2 rated okay i'll check because for me that may be the worst movie of the 1980s caddyshack 2 got a (laughs) 3.8 a full two points higher than going overboard wow so the main executives at NBC did not really like Saturday Night Live, despite the fact that it was kind of back in its second, well, maybe third heyday. You've got original cast, you've got Eddie Murphy, and then you've got the guys that we just talked about. And so there was this kind of mystery that happens. Their two biggest guys, Sandler and Chris Farley, they get canned. They get fired from Saturday Night Live. And it wasn't really, it wasn't, they weren't sure what was going on. People just knew they weren't there anymore. But Adam Sandler later on talks about it. And he's like, yeah, we got, we got fired. I had no clue about that. What can you tell us about that, Adam? Yeah, fired. And like they outlasted everybody too. So it was like, there was a season when it was Sandler and Farley on an island with like Janine Garofalo and Michael McKeon. Once again, SNL bringing in like a 50 year old genius comedian, but to be a cast member, like, well, 10 years after Spinal Tap, like, why? There's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a legendary episode that season hosted by Dion Sanders, where Farley is A, completely phoning it in, and B, like, comes out of an alien spaceship with his clothes falling off, like he's too big for the <laughs> pants. Captain, Armstrong probably didn't do a thorough search. Let me go in there, because I've got a hankering to kick some butt! And it's just like a, a famous train wreck of a sketch, and yeah, at the end of a season where I guess Sandler and Farley were supposed to be the bridge. They just get unceremoniously let go. Wow. So this is kind of a pivotal moment. And fortunately he and Tim Harley have been working on a script for this show called Billy Madison. I am the smartest man alive. Billy Madison's released what? 95. I think it's kind of the, you're going to inherit this, but only if you can get through high school, it turns out he needs to go actually back to kindergarten and go through every single grade in order to make it through high school. (laughs) But the movie is a sleeper success. Like it's huge. And so that allows Adam and Tim to start working on a second movie. Now, also at this time, you've got Chris Farley coming out with movies as well. And these movies are actually in competition with each other. Lauren Michaels is doing the Chris Farley movies, but he's not doing the Adam Sandler movies. And so this has become kind of a big deal because whenever Happy Gilmore comes out, Black Sheep is out and doing really well. Also still out at that time was Braveheart and Toy Story. And Happy Gilmore on its weekend release still managed to be the number two movie. So they have directing the movie, a guy named Dennis Dugan. Probably most people in the world won't be able to say much about him because he's not a guy that you see a lot, except with Adam Sandler movies. But I will tell you where Jason and I will have known him. And I think I'm going to blow your mind right here. Do you know what private investigator show from the 80s he had a substantial part in a few of the episodes? Which one's again? Private be? Moonlighting. Yes. Yes. Now, do you know what he who he was in the Moonlighting episode? Civil Shepherd's dad. Husband. She on the episode where she gets married. I mean, it was a big deal at the time with Moonlighting because there were all these rumors about what was going on with her. And then you had the love hate relationship on the show between Maddie and Dave. And so he's the guy she ends up marrying. Wow. Okay. And then here's the twist when they end up canceling the show and they're doing their very last episode. Like, I don't know if you remember the last episode, but it's like a regular episode. And then all of a sudden it's like this twisted reality where they go back and people are taking down the set to the show when they're like, what's going on. And he's the guy who's the director. Like he's killing the show off basically as the director, as the, also the guy who was her uh, jilted husband. Wow. Okay. So that guy is the guy who directed Happy Gilmore. He, you will know him from the movie Happy Gilmore because he plays Doug. Doug. Yeah. That's right. The the course the PGA director. The guy in charge of the yeah. of the game. Yeah. The guy in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's uh, the guy who at the end says, 
Oh, you got to play where it lies. Right. So for a guy that we've never heard of, and he gets this movie with these guys who have had this huge success, you have to go, how did he get this movie? Right? Right. Well, he had tried to cast Adam Sandler in another movie that he was doing. He had, he had directed some shows, nothing particularly successful, but Adam had tried out. He's like, I want that guy. And the studio said, no star power. We're not going to let you have it. Well, when Adam Sandler is looking for a director of Happy Gilmore. He comes in. He's like, I'd love to direct. He goes, you're that guy who wanted to give me the part. Say no more. You've got the job. Nice. And he has gone on to direct so many. He's like, done like he Grown Ups, Grown Ups, and Grown Ups 2. Jack and Jill. And he, yeah. he's done a bunch of other Sandler. He's like Sandler's guy. He's Sandler's director guy. Yeah. And how how great a job would that be to be Sam Sandler's director guy? His pictures have made over a billion dollars. It's crazy. He's riding Adam Sandler, but that's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. I take well, that. All the Sandler, all the Sandler movies now are like, uh, yeah, me and my five best friends go to Hawaii. <laughs> like I would do that too. If I were a, per- a personal director. Yeah. Okay. So, so sidebar, have you seen uncut gems? No. Have you seen uncut gems? The last movie I saw in theaters. Really? Wow. Wow. Okay. So did you enjoy it? I did. Um, I was stressed out for the entire final hour or so. Uh Um, yeah, I thought it was a virtuoso performance. I thought it was a Sandler we've never seen before and definitely a Kevin Garnett. I've rarely seen either. Honestly, I watched the first 30 minutes and I was like, I think I have better things to do with my life than this. So you're probably not wrong. (laughs) I I can visualize a world in which I didn't see the whole thing. I may go back and try it again. Okay. I feel like it had a lot of potential that from what I saw, but anyway. Hey, I've got something real quick. I, yeah. I just want to throw it in while we're plowing through all this stuff. The love interest in Billy Madison. Yeah. Her name is Veronica Vaughn. Yeah. The love interest in The Waterboy, her name is Vicki Valancourt. The love interest in Happy Gilmore, her name is Virginia Bennett. The love interest in Batman 89 is Vicky, <laughs> Vicky Bale. Bale. There you go. <laughs> the I don't love interest in Uncut <laughs> Gems is... Yeah. <laughs> So he had something going on with the double V's. It's like uh, like a comic book hero or something like that. Anyway, I just noticed that. I want to throw it out there. There you go. Okay. All right. Let's back. go back to casting on Caddyshack. Okay. So when they're putting this movie together, they need a star. So Doug Kinney and Harold Ramis are looking for a star. The studio says, how about Chevy Chase? They go talk to Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase says, yeah, okay. Yeah, and he had just gotten nominated for his work in Foul Play, which is a movie with Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. I love that movie. So once they had Chevy Chase on board, they know they've got a movie now, right? So they were they were looking to to fill this cast of characters. They knew they wanted uh, Sarah Holcomb to play Maggie, Maggie O'Hulahan. So they're out to cast for Danny Noonan. So they go and and who do they talk to first? The person that they want first. Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke, the guy who will be the definition of cool in like Rumblefish, who's Whiplash in Iron Man 2 and has been in a whole bunch of other movies, uh, Nine and a Half Weeks, Angel Heart, The Wrestler. Great actor, kind of like what you were talking about with Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Michael Hall. He's a good actor, but is he is he really a comedic person for Caddyshack? So anyway, they 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 hire Michael O'Keefe. Then the person that they want next for Al Shervek, they wanted Don Rickles. Don Rickles, flashback to our Cannonball Run episode. He was yeah. almost... Hired to be Fenderbomb. Yes, but didn't do it because he was competing with Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise. They couldn't stand each other. So he's like, I'm out. Right. At the time, Rodney Dangerfield had done a a couple of guest hosts on the the Tonight Show, and he was just killing it on the Tonight Show. I age, I want two girls at once, you know. If I fall asleep, they got each other to talk to. (laughs) What's new with you? I assume you're through. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. And they had seen him and they thought, man, this guy's really funny. And he could be brash and crude, but still be likable and funny. So they, they took a shot on Rodney Dangerfield. And he is one of the key elements to the success of Caddyshack. So with Rodney Dangerfield, this is interesting. Everybody talks about this being his first movie, but he was actually in a Kubrick movie. What? He was in a Kubrick movie 
And it's a Kubrick movie that most people haven't heard of called The Killing. Whoa. It's the one they're wearing clown, the bank robbers, they're wearing clown masks. It's it's one of Kubrick's earliest movies, one that's not very Kubrick-esque, so to speak, but one that has kind of become a classic. But Rodney Dangerfield can be seen at a racing track at the bar looking at a paper he was just an extra in this movie so i i'm going to give a shout out real quick to a podcast that i've been listening to called a film by dot 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 yeah and uh these are guys that they look at movies by world-class directors that are not their best known movies yeah they had one out today on the killing and i'm listening to it i'm like oh there's a bit of trivia about Rodney Dangerfield that I can use. So shout out to Jeff Johnson, the guys, uh, and uh, one of our Patreon guys uh, does a side project with them where they look at movies from 1986. Dayton Johnson yep. looks at those, but t- check out that podcast. Those guys are awesome. Really great stuff that they do over there. Okay. And so, so now they've got Chevy Chase. Now they've got Rodney Dangerfield. They go after Ted Knight, who was famous from the Mary Tyler Moore show. He agrees to do it. He's going to play the stuffy old rich white guy at the golf course. And he is awesome. Really the cornerstone of the movie. If he doesn't portray the the snobbish Judge Smells, uh-huh. it just doesn't really work. I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them. Okay. Here's Ted Knight's old bit that I, I'm wondering if many people know. And I'll give, I'll give credit to Arlen Bullard on this one. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say the line. You ready? Yes. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, he was the voice on Super Friends. Yeah. He was the narrator for Super Friends and Superboy and all kinds of other uh, DC animated shows. I had no idea. Arlen it was like, yeah, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Back at the Hall of Justice. It's <laughs> like, is that him? Yep. Ted Knight. Wow. And then, of course, the last piece of the puzzle, Brian Doyle Murray wants his brother, Bill Murray, who was hot off of Saturday Night Live. He was actually out in California shooting a movie. He had just wrapped a movie called Where the Buffaloes Roam. Yeah. Which is Hunter S. Thompson. Right. Yep. He had to get back to Saturday Night Live. Last season of the original cast. Okay. Yeah. And they're like, hey. You're traveling from California to New York. He had to return Lord Michael's car. <laughs> and so they're like, why don't you just swing by Florida? <laughs> just, you know, you know, it's on the way. It's on the way. <laughs> yeah. For six days. They had him for six days. Six days. And come play Carl Spackler, who is just the greenskeeper. Yeah. The script had no lines for him. None. Not one line. And it was just. Bill does his bit. Harold Ramis kind of had it envisioned like a Harpo Marx type of thing where he maybe even didn't speak. Uh huh. He just kind of chased the gopher around, you know, that's it. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, he, he does speak and he takes <laughs> over the movie. Um, he, he establishes himself in like the first five seconds of being on camera as someone who's, gimmick is being sexually attracted to old women or <laughs> or all women i i could i honestly couldn't tell and i sort of was like put a pin in that see if it develops later nope not really he's very <laughs> attracted to old women throughout the entirety of this film um i mean he delivered i don't know i mean you you were right in saying that ted knight holds this entire thing together but i'm a murray over chase guy and i'm not sure if that's going to come up at any point but i had more fun watching Murray do his oddball thing here. And the first scene they've ever shared together outside of SNL and in a movie is that scene in the mind if I play through, right? right. Yeah. Yes. And you, you can almost tell it's, it is almost like Chevy Chase and Bill Murray sizing each other up as human beings, not as characters. Yeah. They were really nervous about shooting that scene. Let's go ahead and jump into that scene. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So this was, you know, the, the studio after they had been sitting back dailies, they said, Hey, your two biggest stars are not in anything together. Right. Yeah. You, they, you, they had, Bill Murray was already gone at this point. He had done his six days and was gone. Yeah. And so they're like, well, you, you got to figure this out. You got to, you got to come up with something. Right. And so everybody's like, oh boy, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase can't stand to be in the same room together. You know, how are we going to do this? And so Harold Ramis said, all right, you know, Bill and Chevy, let's all sit around and let's, let's sit down and let's write something. And so they came up with just an outline basically of Ty Webb hits a golf ball into Carl's shack and they talk a bit and then he leaves. Right. Everything else is improv. Right. Look at this. This is registered. Carl Specker bent. Oh yeah. I've I've, I've felt grass like this before. I've played on this. This is a hybrid. This is a cross, uh, a bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, uh, featherbed bent and uh, Northern California sensimia. The amazing stuff about this is that you can play 36 holes on it in the afternoon, take it home and just get stoned in a bejesus belt. 
that night on his stuff. So it's important. That improv part of things is really important for this movie and understanding the way that it goes. You know, we talked about Second City. These guys are all improvisational actors. And Harold Ramis was one of the key guys that came from Second City. And he's the director. And so, so much of this movie, he would just go okay, here's the situation and go. And so it was a bunch of yes ands and people improving it out. And that's actually what you end up with in the movie. And we'll get into it more later on, but the original script was not at all the movie that we ended up with. Right, right. I feel like you can tell that though from the Dangerfield stuff. Like they let <laughs> him go. There's, yeah. there's one that I wrote down that like, I was like, all right, on the rewatch, I was like, all right, let's let's stay tuned to Dangerfield's one-liners. Like, they're iconic. He's well-known for them. They're legendary. What does buy a hat like this, you get a free bowl of soup mean? <laughs> That's supposed to mean something to me? Like, am I, am I the wrong generation? Like, I feel like he was on 90% of the time and then 10%. It's like, can we just, can we cut that? No, we can't. We can't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's That's, funny, yeah. That's one of the most memorable lines from the movie. It's hysterical. And, and yeah. Yeah, I think it probably is like a, a throwback. Like, you, we can't get rid of this hat, so let's give away a free bowl of soup so that somebody will take it. <laughs> okay, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Never got it. Never okay. got it. So there's there's something funny about that scene you're talking about right there. Harold Ramis was like, you know, Riding Dangerfield was around this wall and the other side of this wall. It's his first scene. First scene. Yeah, yeah. Shot. yeah. It's his first scene on screen as a movie person at all. Yeah. And so Harold Ramis is like, all right, Rodney, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, ready? Action. Nothing happens. Like Rodney doesn't come around the wall. And so he's like, all right, cut, cut, cut. Hey, Rodney, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. He's like, all right, ready? Action. Nothing happens. So he's like, Rodney, what's going on? Every time I say action, you're not moving. He's like, oh, you mean do my bit? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. So ready? Rodney, do your bit. And he bursts out. And it comes in like a hurricane, right? (laughs) And for the rest of the movie, anytime he wanted Rodney to do something, it was Rodney, do your bit. Yeah. And he thought he was doing it wrong. Like he would start, he would start his performance. He would go through his bit and then they'd be like, okay, let's do it again. And like, he starts pouring beads of sweat, <laughs> you know, he's just like, and so one of the caddies, I can't remember the, the, the good looking caddy. What was his name? Denunzio. Denunzio. Yeah. So the, the, the actor who played Denunzio, it's like, you okay, man. And he, he's like, I'm bombing out here. I'm bombing. Nobody's laughing. He's like, no, no, man. It's a movie. If they laugh, they can't use the take. It's not because you're not funny. It's because we're not supposed to laugh. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's yeah. Crazy. So they really had to coach him up on how movies work. They can't laugh, <laughs> even though you are funny. Yeah. And he wanted the laugh real bad, especially <laughs> at first. We haven't even mentioned people who like the guy who plays Spalding. I want a hamburger. No, a cheeseburger. I want a hot dog. I want a milkshake. I want potatoes. You'll chip. get nothing and like it. The old lady who plays Mrs. Smales is hilarious in this movie. <laughs> Can you loof a my stretch? <laughs> <laughs> you two look like a couple of boobies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy who plays Smoke Porterhouse, uh, the guy who these uh, names are so I know. classic. <laughs> Should we talk about the names real quick? <laughs> Go ahead. So, I mean, you got you've got Al Shervix, yeah, Shervix, right? Yeah. And you got uh, you know Cindy Morgan, who's the the hot niece, Lacey under Lacey she, Underall. She has a certain zest for life. <laughs> <laughs> you have Doctor Beeper. They weren't particularly creative with their names. It was more like let's describe the character and move on. Yes. All right, so let's talk about casting for Happy Gilmore. Oh, ho, ho, it's magic. You know. Okay, you know who they wanted for Adam Sandler's part? I'm going to go with Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler the whole time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the main guy. Obviously, he's the writer of the movie, so he was going to get the main part. The whole plot of the movie is hockey player who plays golf. Right, and then needs to win his house back for his grandmother who raised him. Yes. They were looking for a person to play his foil, right? The bad guy. The bad guy. Shooter McGavin is the guy's name. So they looked at Bruce Campbell from the the Evil Dead movies. He auditioned for the part. And I heard that Kevin Costner was actually considered. Okay. So I had heard that too, but Christopher McDonald and Adam Sandler did an interview with Dan Patrick just like a month or two ago. 
And when Dan Patrick brought that up, Adam Sandler was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think we ever offered the part to him. I, th- I think Chris was our guy the whole time. Now, he may have just been saying that because Chris is sitting right next to him. But he the way he told it, he was like, and I'd seen this movie called Thelma and Louise, and there was this super hot guy in it. <laughs> uh, and his name was Christopher McDonald. And right. so- So Christopher McDonald was filming quiz show nearby where they had been putting the movie together for Happy Gilmore. And Dennis Dugan goes to find him in his hotel. They meet in the lobby and he proposes the part to him. But Christopher McDonald had been doing these kind of bad guys so much that he didn't want to do another bad guy until he read the script. And he's like, I want to meet Adam Sandler. They go and talk in his one reading with Adam Sandler. He's like, I'm in. I'm doing it. He did a great job. Any comments on that? Yeah. Is he? I was just going to say, is to you, is Christopher McDonald a that guy or is he Shooter McGavin? He's, he's Shooter, Shooter McGavin. McGavin. I think that's right. Yeah, he's he's so he's so good in this. I love the people that live their lives as the iconic characters they played like 25 years ago. I love when he shows up as Shooter McGavin on Twitter still to this day, like doing an anniversary video for Happy Gilmore. Or like, I guarantee if you asked him to do anything for you as Shooter McGavin, he would. Like, I love I love how much he embodies it. And I can't imagine a better villain for this movie. Yeah. So there's a, a, a service called cameo.com where you can get, yeah. you know, like stars to oh, yeah. leave a message for somebody on their birthday. On his, it doesn't say Christopher McDonald. It says Shooter McGavin. Nice. Like he he really has taken on that persona. It's great because he goes and does charity golf bits and earns money for charities. He's living the dream, man. That's awesome. Was Finger Guns him or was Finger Guns Society? Like who did I, it first? I think it's him, man. I think you can credit a lot to him on that. Who was the guy who would do the sword bit because there was a guy back in the late 80s who whenever uh, he chichi made, rodriguez that's it chichi rodriguez mm-hmm. when he was done he'd do his little sword bit like a chichi yep, that's right and yeah i think that was christopher's idea as kind of a homage to to that deal it goes in its home it's yeah, his home don't you want to go to your home <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about julie bowen for a second okay julie julie bowen i saw this movie and i'm like man that's, she's beautiful how Why didn't I see her in anything else? Well, I did. She's in Modern Family. She's like one of the main, she's the one of the the main wife. She's like the Uh, mom or something. Yeah, she's the mom, the wife, not Sophia Varga, but the the other one. And I didn't realize that that was the same girl. She looks different to me. Like I don't I don't think she's had work done. I think she just she was so much younger then that she just she's still very beautiful, but just a different looking lady now. That's because she's not wearing the the stockings and garters. I wasn't looking at that stuff. What are you trying to say? Um, One of my college's most distinguished alumni, Julie Bowen. Really get out of town. Where did you go to school? Uh Brown University. Nice. We have Julie Bowen, we got Laura Linney, and we got one of the guys from Heroes. That's the acting department's like trifecta. Oh John Krasinski. (laughs) Sorry. That's not bad. That's not bad. We've got we've got Ed Harris. And we have the guy who played Lenny on LA Law or Benny. What was the the special needs guy on LA Law, that big giant? He was also in a really creepy episode of Tales from the Crypt where he played, I think, a demented Santa Claus. Mm. That was he was an OU guy. Really? Yeah. James Garner, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Carl Weathers plays Chubbs. Yeah. Carl's Apollo Creed Weathers. Yeah. Carl Action Jackson Weathers. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about that. He loses his hand fighting an alligator while looking for his ball in Happy Gilmore. It happens prior to us meeting him. Yeah. That same arm gets blown off in Predator. Yeah. Coincidence? Same universe? I think not. (laughs) Chubbs was actually a soldier of fortune who fought aliens. Well, and, you know, he, he talks to him. He's like, you big guy like you should be a football player or something like that. Carl Weathers was actually a professional football player. Yes, yes. His best acting role ever is when he loses to Sylvester Stallone in a sprint <laughs> in Rocky Three. Oh, it's the worst. Okay, I have a little happy dance. At the end. It's comedic. <laughs> Carl Weathers is great in this movie. He he uh, he's on Mandalorian now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. That's yeah, a little classic. wider. He he is um, <laughs> a little wider hair. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, well, that's as far as we need to go on that joke. <laughs> I would rank the I would rank the wooden hand as like one of the five best like large scale comedy movie bits of all time. It is funny every time. You know it's coming. It's still funny. Also, before I'd seen this movie in college, my roommates and I nicknamed uh, and I 
apologize in advance. We nicknamed a line cook Chubbs Peterson. He was a little overweight. Um, and I just thought it was a funny nickname that we'd come up with ourselves. <laughs> and then I saw this movie and I was like, oh, we've never done anything original in our lives. No. <laughs> From Chubbs famous Peterson. Show. In this movie, he's very much coaching like Apollo Creed coaches Rocky in Rocky Three. Yes. I just, there were just moments throughout that I was like, Apollo Creed. And then you have the spectacular moment where Happy thinks he's given him a gift because he finds the crocodile that took his ball, right? Yes. Took his hand. Yes. And then he gives it to him and it freaks him out so badly that he falls out the window. And yes, most ridiculous death. (laughs) But yes, he falls out the window and then his like force ghost shows up the rest of the movie. To cheer on happy, you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is a fantastic mentor to have in a movie because it it lays all of those old 80s movies that we love. When this movie <laughs> opens with a death, too. I don't know how you could be shocked yeah. by Carl Weathers' death. The first thing you see is a death. His dad gets hit with a hockey puck, right? Oh, yeah. Stubbed by a hockey puck. <laughs> in the rink. This moment of pure joy ending in tragedy. Okay. So Tuesday's gone. If you were like a list of songs to start a comedy movie with, I would be like, you have to take this off the list. There's no way you're going to start a comedy movie with Tuesday's gone. It's sad and depressing, but turning everything into a phallic and humping things during the home video style introduction. <laughs> I, I forget what music is playing. It's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, just a couple other notable people that are in the movie. We talked a little bit about Francis Bay as Grandma Gilmore. You've got Richard Keel, who played Jaws in the James Bond movies. Shooter McGavin has to hit a shot off his foot at one point in the movie, and he's still a big, tough guy. Lee Trevino plays himself. He's yeah. a professional golfer. No lines, though. Well, he's got one line. Yeah, he does. He's like, Grizzly Adams didn't have a beard. <laughs> Yeah, got exactly one. You'd rather have exactly one line and have it be great. (laughs) You also had, I want to mention this guy real quick, Jared Von Schnellenberg. He's the kid caddy in his first tournament. This little blonde kid, this little goofy teenager. So did you watch the Masters? I watched some of the Masters, yeah. Okay, so Adam, you watched the Masters a little bit, right? Yeah. Do you know the stuff that went on about Happy Gilmore during the Masters? Let me pull up the Sandler tweet to make sure that I get it right. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the blonde boy himself because I, I uh, who who anticipated of all the people from Happy <laughs> Gilmore to become relevant this week Seriously, of all weeks? Yeah. Will Zalatoris is the golfer's name. He was was moderately close to taking over the lead from Matsuyama didn't take it but he looked he had the flippy blonde hair he didn't look dissimilar from an older version of this blonde caddy and Sandler screen grabbed a photo of Zalatoris's hair going nuts side by sided it with the caddy and tweeted have fun today young man Mr. Gilmore is watching you and very proud oh that is awesome yeah pretty cool couldn't yeah. pull home the victory, but he was he was closer than uh, I think anybody really expected. And uh, yeah, and I he think did. the actor, the actor who played him in real life is some sort of like adjunct math professor. Yeah, now. he's like a yeah. PhDs and pretty notable guy, I guess, out, out in the academic world. Wow. Yeah, because the backlash to the lookalike was like, okay, we all had fun with our lookalike, but did everybody know that that actor is now like got a Van Dyke beard and is some sort of like professor and and a, a learned man? It was like it was a great it was a great news cycle of like, oh, I remember that guy. Oh, cool. All right, goodbye. It's crazy. Can you imagine? Like your entire life changes over the course of 25 years. And then suddenly, randomly, you're famous again for being the dork kid in a movie. Well, the kid from Weird Science, like not Anthony Michael Hall, the other kid, Wyatt. Yeah. He's like a professor at Texas A&M. Yeah. The guy, the kid who's in What About Bob is a law professor. Uh, at, it's like. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah. It's Peace and Quiet. Yes. Wow. All right. And so also we've got Vern Lundquist. We've got Bob Barker, who has made the funniest scene in the entire movie. All right. Let's go. You want a piece of me? I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing. Absolutely. I'm telling you, if you we're talking about Bill Murray and what he means to Caddyshack. When you say Caddyshack, I think Bill Murray. When you say Happy Gilmore, I think Bob Barker. Because that scene is the funniest bit in the movie. And it's a funny, funny movie. But I love and I love the story that goes along with it because Bob Barker gets on set and they've got a stunt double for him for all of the fight scenes. And he's like, who's this guy? And like, (laughs) oh, this is your stunt double. Whenever we have, you know, the punches and stuff, uh, you know, we'll put him in there. He's like, I'm not going to do this if you get a stunt double for me. 
I'm like, what? He goes, I'm a black belt. I have trained with Chuck Norris. I am going to do my own fight scenes. And they're like, oh, all right then. And he he was awesome. He was awesome. I want to give, I mean, well, yeah, okay. Who? I can't possibly say enough about Bob Barker, but I'll, I'll let the moment speak for itself. I do want to give a special shout out to, we're talking about Second City earlier. Uh, another SC alum, SCTV was sort of their spinoff show in Canada. Launched the careers of John Candy, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, all these gods of comedy. Yeah, Rick uh, and Rance, Joe Flaherty. Yeah. Rick Moranis and Joe Flaherty, who plays the heckler, who is Shooter's like assistant, uh, who knocks Happy off his game, uh, is iconically is iconically <laughs> good in this movie. And he's he's like the dad in Freaks and Geeks. He didn't get quite as much run as the other folks from SCTV, but he's funny every time he shows up anywhere. And I was delighted to see him in this. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Last person I want to mention, Ben Stiller. Yeah, uncredited. I guess he and Adam Sandler were buddies, and Adam said, "Hey, you want to come be in my movie?" And he's like the guy in charge of the old people's home, and he's a real jerk and and, it's, and a great part. It's a great part. I don't understand why he didn't take credit for it. And this is before there's something about Mary. So he had not hit it big, big yet. He had done what? Reality Bides? Two episodes of the Ben Stiller show. That's exactly right. <laughs> failed failed SNL cast member Ben Stiller. I think oh, he got a half a season. That's right. I'd forgotten about I that. I did not remember that. Yeah, he had a great he had a great deal that he did on The Color of Money where he was imitating Tom Cruise. He has a really spot on Tom Cruise impression. But before we leave cast yes. of Happy Gilmore, there's one more that I got to mention. Okay. The IRS guy at the beginning, the guy's like, I'm not taking your grandmother's stuff. I'm this not taking this, not taking this home to my house. Okay. So that guy is named Robert Schmeagle. Okay. He's been in a ton of comedy writing troops. He's written for Saturday Night Live. He's written for Adam Sandler, but he is also the puppeteer and the voice of Triumph. Triumph, the, the insult, insult dog. Insult comic dog. There, yes, there we go. Triumph, the insult comedy dog. For me to poop on. <laughs> That's the guy. Huh? That's the guy. Yeah, it's that guy. That, the guy who gets thrown through the window in Happy Gilmore is, is Triumph, the insult comedy dog. Wow. Wow, he ran the uh, he ran the cartoon department at SNL for like a decade too. He did a TV Funhouse. Oh, uh, wow. so he was a yeah. He was a writer at SNL forever with Sandler and Hurley. And Sandler's character, the Hurley boy, is named after Tim Hurley. Um, oh, but right. Smigel was Smigel is one of those guys, and he yeah he did the cartoons for like. 15 years after all these people left the cast. He was working with them forever. Wow, that's, awesome. that's fantastic. Very good. Okay, so that does it for cast. Come back next week where we will go into production of both of these movies and get some really hysterical stories. Yeah, the stories that we're going to tell next week are really kind of the heart of this episode. Caddyshack versus Happy Gilmore, Final Judgment next week. Yeah. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so it automatically pops up on your phone. And don't forget to visit our Patreon page. Don't forget to come visit us on Facebook and Twitter. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.